0: Do you ever feel trapped? I think a lot of us feel trapped lately uh because of the pandemic quarantine and the uh shelter at home mandates of late but beyond uh, the quarantine lately do you ever feel trapped by life? Um maybe trapped in a in a toxic relationship or trapped in a job that you that you can't stand or trapped in a financial hole that you can't dig your way out of, or maybe trapped in a body that is failing you, just trapped by life circumstance that is uh, squeezing you, where you can't move and and you can't breathe, you just feel trapped. You ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way today. Well, if so, you're not alone. You're not the only one. And uh, we're actually going to learn from a man who felt that way a long time ago. If you have your Bible, I would uh, hope that you would turn with me to Psalm 120. Psalm 120. Today we're going to begin a new series of messages called Moving Toward God. And we're going to be working through what is called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. In the Old Testament, God required His people uh, to come to Jerusalem three times a year for three annual festivals. There was Passover in the spring. Pentecost in the summer and then the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. And so Jews all over Israel, wherever they were, they were supposed to make those pilgrimages to uh, Jerusalem. those three times a year. The historian Josephus said that some two million people would crowd into the relatively small town of Jerusalem, and uh, they would crowd in and around Jerusalem for those festivals and, and worship God and fellowship with God's people. And as those pilgrims, those worshipers, would come to Jerusalem from all over the country and, and beyond, they would sing what, or, or chant what is called the Psalms of Ascent, And the Psalms of Ascent, it's a collection of psalms. In your Bible, it's Psalm 120 through 134. So 120 to 134. And if you look at those psalms, you'll notice they all have a heading, a song of ascent or a a, a psalm of ascent. Of course, you know, ascent means to go up. And in the language of the Bible, you always go up to Jerusalem. And uh, Jerusalem, the, uh, the temple is there on Mount Zion, about 2,700 feet above sea level. And so you're always going up to Jerusalem. And so these pilgrims, as they journey to Jerusalem, journey to the house of God, they are ascending. They're going up and they would sing or chant these psalms of ascent. Possibly even as they ascended the temple mount. Maybe even as they ascended the very steps of the temple itself. So we have the psalms of ascent. Now these 15 Psalms, 10 of them technically are anonymous, we don't know who wrote them. Four of them are attributed to David and one is attributed to Solomon. So you can imagine as they are written by different authors and under different situations, there, there's quite a bit of variety. There's some difference uh, in these different Psalms and we're going to see that as we journey through them. But uh, in, in this series, Moving Toward God, we're going to be working through these Psalms of Ascent and these pilgrims... Who are singing these Psalms, they are people on the move. They are moving toward God, moving toward Jerusalem, God's house, to worship God, and to fellowship with God's people. And as we move through the Psalms of Ascent, we too, we're going to be on a journey of sorts. We are moving toward God. We'll be moving toward God in, in prayer, in faith, in repentance, in worship. And as we go through the Psalms, we'll be moving toward God for deliverance and for safety and security, for protection. We'll be moving toward God for for work and for family, for unity, for mercy, for restoration, for, for forgiveness, for grace and glory and peace and blessing and stability. All these are to be found in the presence of God. One Old Testament scholar said this about the Psalms of Ascent and and uh, relating them to Christian worship, he said this, "...an incomparable blessing awaits God's people whenever they come to God's house to hear God's Word. True spiritual growth necessitates that believers regularly attend the gathering of worshipers and sit under the Scriptures being taught. Wherever the Word of God is proclaimed, the glory of God is manifested, and the grace of God is magnified in the hearts of the saints. Whatever the distance a person must travel to receive the Word... The effort is always eternally rewarding. Singing praises to God with other like-minded believers makes the journey worth the while. Nothing is more important to one's spiritual life than hearing and living God's Word. I love that. Singing praises to God with other like-minded believers makes the journey worthwhile. Well, because of the pandemic and, and our shutdown over these weeks, we've missed that, haven't we? We have missed singing the praises of God with God's people, we have missed receiving God's Word with God's people in God's house. In other words, we've missed church. We have missed corporate worship. And as we anticipate coming together again to worship as God's people in God's house, hopefully sooner rather than later, as we anticipate coming together again as God's people in God's house, boy, it seems like the Psalms of Ascent are just appropriate for us, especially in these times. So, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit trapped, (laughs) And, and I'm ready to make a move toward God. So our psalmist here in Psalm 120 is going to help us. So let's take a look. Psalm 120 and verse 1. In my trouble I cried to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshek. I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Well, at first glance, that would seem an odd way to begin a pilgrimage toward Jerusalem, but we're going to find out it's not so odd as we go along. The psalmist here feels trapped. He's trapped in a, in a hostile place among a people who would seem to be far from God. He's in, in, a, in a land of hostility and slander and deception, and he wants to make a move toward God. So let's see what he does when he feels trapped, and we'll gain some direction for, our, for ourselves when we feel trapped as well. So if you, uh, if you downloaded the listening guide off the web page, I hope you'll follow along, simple little outline with some action points along the way. So let's see what the psalmist did. First of all, he remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers God's faithfulness. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord. The word trouble there translates the word for distress, and it speaks of a narrowness, a constriction, a confinement, a trap. He feels trapped, confined. And he cries out to the Lord. And in the, in the Hebrew, it's emphatic. Unto the Lord, in my distress, I cried. Unto the Lord. It's a declaration of dependence. He needs God in his hour of trouble. Unto the Lord in my distress I cried. Now, there are a couple of different ways to understand the relationship between verse 1 and the rest of the psalm. One way to understand this is that verse 1 is kind of introducing the story. This is all one event, and the psalmist is basically saying, I want to tell you all something. I was in a mess. I cried out to God and he answered me. And here's how that here's what was going on. And so he's just telling the story. So verse 1 introduces everything that's about to happen. If that's the case then, the psalmist really doesn't tell us how God answered his prayer. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me, but he doesn't tell us how. Did 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 God change the situation? Did God take the psalmist out of that situation? Did God just give him a sustaining grace to endure the situation, it's unspecified. We don't really know. Another way to understand this psalm is to see verse 1 as a recollection of a past distress and a past answered prayer. And then that informs his response to the current situation. You know what? There was a time back when, man, I was in a mess. I was in distress, and I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me. And now here I am in a new mess. And a new crisis, a new trap. And God helped me then, so I have re- every reason to believe that he will help me in this one. So I'm going to cry out to the Lord again. Either way, the psalmist remembers God's faithfulness. So here's an action point. You can take it to God in persistent prayer. When you feel trapped, when circumstances, whatever it is, is squeezing you, and, you know, I just can't go on like this anymore, I don't want to live like this anymore, well, you take it to God in in persistent prayer. I cried to the Lord and he answered me. Here's the second thing our psalmist does. He requests God's deliverance. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a a deceitful tongue. So now we are learning more about the psalmist situation. The people around him are lying about him. He is the target of a slander campaign a gossip campaign the people around him are saying things about him that are not true they are accusing him of things that that he has not done they are slandering his reputation they are gossiping about him have you ever had that experience have you ever been the object of a gossip campaign it's no fun it's not a good place to be and so he is he feels trapped by their lies he feels trapped by their words because he can't win. If he protests his innocence too loudly, well, it sure sounds like he's guilty. You know, methinks the lady doth protest too much, that kind of a thing. On the other hand, if he doesn't deny the allegations, well, it must be true, he doesn't even deny them. So he he can't win either way. And whatever he says gets misinterpreted, it it gets twisted, It, it gets... Taken out of context, his motives are questioned and imputed. Sound familiar? I mean, it's like watching the news every day, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? The more things change, the more things stay the same. It is the same old song. Well, he feels trapped. But what I want you to hear is that instead of just whining and complaining, he turns to God. And he cries out to God for deliverance. Oh, God, you must help me. I can't fix this. I can't do anything about this. God, I need you. I need your help. So here's the action point. You, when you feel trapped, cry out to God in utter dependence, in utter, complete dependence. Oh, God, I can't. You can. I can't change this. You can. I can't control this. You can. I can't fix this. You can. God, apart from you, I can do nothing. I absolutely need you. I need thee every hour for everything. So, take it to God in persistent prayer. Cry out to God in utter dependence. And then, thirdly, our psalmist he resorts to God's vindication. He resorts to God's vindication in verse three. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Here he's a he is addressing the tongue of his enemy, the lying tongue of his enemy. In other words, he's addressing the wicked person. What will God do to such a wicked person like you? And, and then he says, what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? That's, that's the language of oath-taking. It is an oath formula. That's, that's, the, that's the phraseology. We hear this kind of language the, several times in the Old Testament swearing by God, if you will, several times. Uh, For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we hear Eli. Eli is trying to get Samuel to tell him what God had told Samuel, and he swears an oath. And he says to, to Samuel, may God do so to you and more also, if you don't tell me what God told you, if you hide anything from me, may God do so to you and more also. We hear David swear an oath, using that same language Twice in Second Samuel, in chapter three and chapter nineteen, David bows. May God do so to me and more also, if X, Y, and Z. Solomon uses the same kind of an oath in First Kings chapter two. May God do so to me and more also, if if X, Y, and Z. So it sounds like the psalmist here is is cashing in on their false oaths, and and the idea is that these. These slanderers, these ungodly people who are spreading these lies about the psalmist, they may be doing so even with those. May, may God do so to me and more also if, if that guy, our psalmist, if he didn't do this and this and if he didn't say that and the other and, and if he's not guilty of whatever, and, and may God do so to me and more also. So they're spreading their lies with oaths to make them believable. And the psalmist just said, well, God... Why don't you do more so to them and more do so to them and more also cash in their false oaths. Kind of like when we were kids, you know, you, you could say whatever you wanted to say. And, 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 and then you say, um, you know, or you make a promise or make some statement of fact. Um, cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Well, if you know you're lying about it, well, here's the needle. You know, and it's been nice knowing you. Good luck with that. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Well, You're lying. And it's been nice knowing you, you know, so it's that idea. God, they're lying, they're swearing false oaths, cash them in. God fulfill their lies and their lying oaths. And then he calls on God as a divine warrior to exact retribution in verse 4. Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Sounds like he's calling on God as the divine warrior. God, they have attacked me with lies, now you attack them. God, you shoot them with your arrows. I mean, this is the language of, of Psalm 7. Psalm 711 says this, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation, indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. God has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. So he's calling on God, God, you shoot them. They have shot at me with arrows of slander and gossip and lies and false accusations God, you shoot them back with your arrows and with burning coals, with the burning coals of the broom tree. The, bur- the broom tree, I guess, was known for its hot charcoal. In other words, get them, God. Vindicate me by punishing them. He wants divine retribution. He wants vengeance. And uh, it's kind of like what we hear David praying in Psalm 5 and in Psalm 26 as well. Bottom line is that he, he yearns for vengeance and vindication. But, he, you know, God, you know who I am. You know where I am. And you know what's true and what not, what's not true. And God, you know that what they're saying about me is false. They are lying. So God, do something about it. So he cries out to God for vengeance and vindication. But I want you to notice, he doesn't, as far as the text tells us, he doesn't try to get even himself. He doesn't try to exact vengeance For himself, he leaves that for God. And the Apostle Paul instructs us as Christians, as as Christ followers, along the same lines. In Romans 12, Paul writes this, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So here's your action point. You can leave it with God, with a patient, expectation. When you feel trapped, or here in this case, when you have been wronged, well, you can leave it with God with a patient expectation. God, you keep score. And God, I'm going to leave it with you to settle the score. You keep score and settle scores. That's, that's above my pay grade. I'm going to leave it with you in a patient expectation of your righteous judgment. Well, then fourthly, our, our psalmist, he relies on God's intervention. In verse 5, Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. And here we have this cry of dejection, this confession of helplessness. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm tired. I'm weary. God, I can't live like this anymore. I need you to do something. God, you've got to help me. I'm at the end of my rope. Now, Meshek and Kadar are places that were far away from Jerusalem, far away from the house of God, far away from God in that sense. Uh, Meshek is in a land northwest of Israel between the Black and Caspian Seas. And then Kadar is the northern Arabian desert, is to the southeast of Israel. In other words, these are places that are far away from the house of God, and these are peoples who were far away from God. They are pagans. They are ungodly people. And so uh, our psalmist could not have lived in these two extreme places. So this is a poetic metaphor. It's a poetic expression. Again, the psalms are poetry. And so this is a poetic metaphor. I live in a place that sure seems a long way from God, and I'm surrounded by people who are a long way from God. In other words, I'm surrounded by ruthless, hostile, godless people. Now, being a poetic metaphor... That leaves a lot of room for application. And, and the fact is that, that, that our psalmist, in that sense of the word, he may actually live near Jerusalem, in or near Jerusalem, and yet he feels like he's, a far, he's far away from God and God's people because he's surrounded by people who don't act like God's people. So he may actually be surrounded by, by fellow Israelites, by Jews who are acting like pagans. You know, Christians have this experience. We know what that's like. Sometimes as Christians, we live among people who call themselves Christians and yet who live very ungodly lives. Some of the meanest people I've ever known in my life were church people who call themselves Christians. Or this may have it has a direct application to, to Jews who were in exile, prisoners of war, if you will, over in, in Babylon or other places far away. They are in Lands that are literally far away from the house of God and they live among people who are far away from God. So there's a broad application. Again, man, that just it translates right into our Christian experience in the New Testament as well. As, as Christians, um, we, we feel like that in the world. We're, we're in a world that is far away from God and we're surrounded by people who are far away from God. In fact, we hear that even more here in verse 5. I sojourn in Meshach. The word sojourn here is, is to live like an outsider, a foreigner, an alien. I, I dwell among the tents, that is to say I tabernacle uh, in Kedar. Again, it's a temporary residence. In other words, he does not belong with the people who surround him. He is not at home with the ungodly. He is a stranger and an outsider where he is. Man, this speaks to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that, that his followers, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And the Bible paints us as, as pilgrims, strangers, aliens, sojourners in this world. That this world is not our home, our citizenship is in heaven. We're in the world, but we're not of the world as well. And he says, too long, in verse 6, too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate, who hate peace. It's too long. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm done. Again, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. He says, I, I, they, these people, they hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. Every attempt at, at making peace just provokes even more hostility. They hate peace. They are for war. That's a characteristic of the ungodly. They love discord. They love anger. They love disputes and argumentation and, and, and all, fights. They, that's what they love. That is, that's a characteristic of the ungodly, those who are far from God. In Galatians five nineteen. Paul says this, The deeds of the flesh are evident. The deeds of the flesh this is a characteristic of, uh, of, of sin, of sinful people, the ungodly. These are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife. Jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. It's what they love. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But our psalmist says, I'm, I'm for peace. Literally, I am peace. I am peace. I'm about peace. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what I long for. I long for peace. Well, this is the characteristic of God's people. You know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, peace, and so forth. James chapter 3 says that the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, and so on. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Our psalmist here is trapped in a situation That only God can change. Only God can bring unity and peace to people who are at war. The psalmist is dependent on God's intervention. He cries out, oh God, you've got to do something. I can't fix this. You do something. Now, here's the irony. (laughs) Here's the psalmist says, I'm for peace. (laughs) I'm all about peace. That's what I want. I am peace. And yet he cries out to God for vengeance and vindication. I'm for peace. But then he wants God to shoot them with, with sharp arrows and burn them with fire. That's ironic, but it's honest, isn't it? It's ironic, but it's, it's honest. When, when you are hurt, you want to hurt back. We're just being real. When you're hurt, you want to hurt back. The challenge is to give that hurt to God. And trust God with that vengeance and vindication and justice. So here's your action point. Tell it to God in honesty. You can tell it to God in honesty. No pretend piety here. This is a lament. He's he's just keeping it real with God. God, I'm tired. I'm mad. I'm hurt. Do something. You can tell it to God in total honesty. And then action point. Look for God's divine intervention. You, You look to God. Cry out to God in your distress and look to God for his divine intervention. Well, that's the first psalm in the Psalms of Ascent. It's the the first step in our pilgrimage. And at first, it it seems like an odd way to begin that journey. But on the other hand, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Our psalmist is, is in a land that seems like it's a long way from God's house and God's presence. And he's and he's in the midst of a people who are a long way from God. He is surrounded by hostility and, and deception and, and all the rest. And here's a man who, who feels trapped. He's tired. And he, and he longs to leave. And he looks forward to going to God's house. And he wants to worship God. And to know God's presence. And to have fellowship with God's people. And for our psalmist... And for pilgrims like Him, and for you and for me, truth and freedom and peace and life are all to be found in God's presence. Now here's a spoiler alert. We begin our, our journey, we begin in Psalm 120, a long way from God's house, and it seems with people who are a long way from God... But when we end our journey in Psalm 134, we'll find ourselves in God's house in a place of blessing. That's the journey. So, it's time to move. It is time to move toward God. One, in salvation. Have you been saved? The Bible says you draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You, stay, you take a step toward God, He's already stepping in your direction. You draw near to God, He draws near to you. God loves you. God wants to save you from your sins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sins have separated us from God, and we need saving. We need the forgiveness of sin. We need the gift of eternal life. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He died our our death. He paid for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again. And He offers you the gift of eternal life. It's time to move. It's time to move toward God in repentance for salvation, to say, oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you. I know I'm guilty. I have sinned against you. I need the forgiveness of sin. I want to be saved. Come into my heart, forgive me, and save me. Today is the day to move toward God for salvation. It's also a day to move toward God in repentance. If you're a child of God, you've been saved. You know that you're saved, but you're not right with Him. You're not walking with Him. There's, There's sin in your life. There's disobedience in your life. Well, today's the day to move toward God. You don't need to stay far away. You need to draw near. Move toward God in repentance, rededication, and to get right with Him and, and to get close to Him and stay close to Him. It's, it's a day to move toward God in worship, honoring Him and responding to all He is and, and for all that He is and, and has said and done. To, to step toward God in worship. It is a time to move toward God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the timelessness of it as, as, we, as we read this psalm written by somebody so long ago in a, in, a, in a place, in a culture, in a setting so very different from ours, and yet it's, it, it's our testimony. It's, it's right where we are as well. Lord, we thank you for the, timeless, the timelessness of your truth. And I pray that you'd seal this message to our hearts and help us to take these same steps of action as we have identified them today. And as we take this journey at moving toward God, I pray that we indeed would move toward you for salvation and repentance and revival and rededication and worship as we move toward you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.